Welcome everyone to the Runaways Rundown podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. I thought I heard me. The Runaways Rundown podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 103, Destiny, is sponsored by Trader Joe's Hummus. Nothing takes the taste of guilt out of your mouth faster. Well, Pete, continuing with Runaways, after this episode, we will be caught up to what Hulu has released. Of course, more Runaways comes out on Tuesday, and we'll be podcasting that within a day or two there. On the other end, we are doing the Punisher podcast, where, uh, as I as I think I said on, uh, on there on the last Punisher podcast, the contrast between the two shows is wonderful, and it's great inhabiting these two spaces at the same time. With that, mm-hmm. Pete, speaking of space, where are we headed to next? Well, Wednesday, we will be recording a uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 5 preview prior to Friday's debut of the first two episodes of Season 5. So this is the first time we do every Marvel Cinematic Universe TV show. (laughs) Uh, This is the first time we will actively be doing three between Punisher runaways and now agents of shield and uh couldn't be more happy doing absolutely and before we before we leave agents of shield in the discussion until wednesday just want to point out that uh if you check youtube if you check the marvel uh account on youtube you too can see the first 17 minutes of the season premiere uh something that i think they released a day early because all the other Twitter accounts were saying, wait until tomorrow. And people were saying, but it's on YouTube right now. We're not getting better than 17 minutes of footage. But yes. uh, it's there, it's glorious, and it's fun. What we witnessed at New York Comic Con, so you may want to watch it. You may want to hold off for the full effect on Friday. Either way is fine. And we look forward to bringing you that later in the week. But now, Matt, let's get to the Runaways recap. Ten years ago, the funeral for Molly's parents, Jean and Alice, is held. At the wake, Catherine Wilder and Janet Stein discuss how it could have been one of them in that fire. Janet points out it was an accident, but at least Molly will never have to worry about money. Jeffrey Wilder confronts Robert Minoru about the bandage on wife Tina's hands, uh, which he claims she burned herself on a frying pan. Uh, Robert says he would know if Tina did it because they don't keep secrets from one another. Dale Yorks tells wife Stacy he's worried the pride will figure out they spoke to the Hernandezes that night and that they know something. Uh, They speak to a young Molly about coming to live with them. In the present day, Molly literally tears her room apart searching for her kitty cat pin. Gert says she can look for her dumb hair thing later. Molly confesses she thinks something's wrong with her. Carolina Dean listens to her mom's meditation app before she sees Chase's dude bros want to fight him. She gets another message and lets out a gratified sigh. Alex waits for the others at the beach where Carolina shows them the message from Destiny that says a spot opened up on the church trip to London. After the title card, Carolina's concern has been eroded, but Nico thinks it's photoshopped. Serial killers, ritualist killers, LARPing, furries, everything's on the table. 
Alex urges cooler heads. Carolina is going to check in with the church and see if Destiny is really on the trip. Chase and Gert get paired to check his father's lab. Alex takes the secret ceremonial room. Nico is going to check out her mom's staff. Molly brings up the monster in their basement, possibly genetically engineered by Dale and Stacy, which no one believes. Carolina checks in with Chase about what happened at the party, but he assures her it wasn't about a girl. Victor is haunted by destiny when his wife reminds him about a luncheon he is due at. At Synergy, angel investors Minoru's surprise the Yorkses with the news that their serum has made the cover of the American Journal of Experimental Medicine. With applications in PTSD and terrorist reprogramming, those little cartridges make people forget a lot of bad things. The loss of Amy has driven a wedge in the Minoru's relationship. As they search Victor's lab, Gert finds x-ray goggles and checks Chase out before they find the box, but it's empty. They decide to give her parents' basement a once-over for Destiny. The Wilders discuss what to do about Molly. Catherine wants to use the Synergy Serum on her, but Jeffrey points out Frank Dean has never been the same since they used it on him. Despite not having date night since the Obama administration, the Minoru's offer to bring Nico out to dinner. Nico is unable to open the case with the staff inside. Molly is found by Catherine at a coffee house and given her pin which they found in a different part of their home. Molly says she was looking for the bathroom because of puberty type changes and avoids an awkward conversation with the cover of more changes coming. She rips the toilet out and then the bars on the window, but collapses next to a dumpster just outside at home. Alex gets a text. Dad is headed home and opens the secret passageway, but Jeffrey is already in the house and Alex scrambles to cover his tracks. Catherine informs her husband of Molly's suspicious actions before finding her. Catherine confronts Molly, who admits she lied earlier with another lie that she was sent to look for their parents so the other kids could raid their liquor cabinet. Molly yearns to learn more about her parents, which Catherine agrees to tell her instead of sticking her with the serum. Nico finds Amy's diary in her mother's desk, which opens the staff's case. As she flips the pages, she finds a snowflake, which the staff turns into snow. At dinner, Tina tempts her husband by taking off her underwear and a hotel room five minutes away, like characters in some trashy movie. He feels regret for their actions, but she just wants to have fun. And the waitress wonders what underwear is doing on the table. Carolina calls Destiny, but it goes to voicemail. Vaughn seems to think she left for the London trip since she saw her get in a car for the airport. He admits he's taken his church bracelet off, but the only colors he's ever seen are his tan lines. Carolina admires a colorful painting her grandfather made of an angel. Alex attempts to help Nico make the snow stop, which is not being caused by her mom's YZ AI. She thinks the staff read her mind. Alex tries to use it and it shuts down and YZ informs Nico, her mother, is on the way home. The Yorkses hit a taco truck and talk about not having to hurt people as they stand in a line to order. 
making sure they get enough for their friend downstairs. Stacy says they're going to have to tell the girls their plan to move to a remote Yucatan ranch with their prehistoric guard dog. He wants to keep it a secret and surprise them. Chase can't see anything in the Yorks' basement from outside. Turns out Robert Minoru was just looking for Janet-sized panties as he pays her a booty call. Nico and Alex rush to clean up the snow before uh, she comes up with a plan to seem like they were occupied in her parents' absence. Robert reveals he's made a down payment on a place for Janet and himself. She's worried about pride, but he tells her it won't matter much longer when they break ground. Chase finds the door Molly ripped off in the basement, but Gert dons a lead apron. The door seems to be made of the same material, so they open it and a dinosaur and not destiny escapes. Gert is able to get it to listen to her. Leslie doesn't understand the mysterious figure, hasn't felt any effects of what they did to destiny, and it speaks. Vaughn tells her she ran into Carolina earlier, who was asking about destiny before Tina calls and tells her to check out the TV, which is saying the body of Destiny Gonzalez washed up on the shore. She adds the Steins and her husband aren't picking up their phones, and Leslie concludes this is why he isn't getting better. So they're going to need another sacrifice. Certainly a, a high-packed, high-energy episode, and I, I underestimated this show. I thought that we would be spending more time with the runaways actively running away. Now, do I think that'll be happening in due course? Absolutely. But I love the layering that we're getting with all these parents and uh, really getting to know them and getting to feel different levels of sympathy for them. Certainly, of course, one of the people we feel least sympathy for is Victor. Yeah, I think with the vision, the the haunting, whatever you want to call it, the the uh, PTSD of this teen, uh, not in the state we last saw her. Her her face is kind of dirty. He's done whatever dirty work that leads to the discovery on the beach, if that's to be believed, I guess. Um, but clearly the guy is up to no good. Uh, I mean, pangs of conscience, you, you get points for that, but he did a bad thing. He did. And I, I have to wonder him having these visions. Is it purely a mechanism of his conscience? Is there something more to it? You know, is he cracking up? Um, I suppose we can't rule out that there's some sort of, uh, you know, communication from the great beyond in terms of destiny. Although I think that would be. That would be least likely. Uh, this is also an episode where I think we continue to get, I was going to say some villain points for Tina, if only from that flashback 10 years ago and the brief but heavy implication that she took out the Hernandezes, which I think is in line with the villainy that we see from her, but also, I don't know, we see a softer side of her in this episode as well. Yeah, Uh <laughs> trying to re-seduce her husband. Um, I think it's a little bit of a misdirect with the bandage on the hand. Could this in some way be tied to use of the staff, use of the staff for uh, the purposes of 
you know, whatever they were up to back then, who knows? Um, not clear to us at this point, uh, purely for speculation, which we could look at in a little bit. Um, but she's somebody that seems to have the best interest of her daughter and she's trying to reconcile the marriage. I mean, there's, there's a statistic that's been out there for a long time, Matt, that couples that lose a child, the divorce rate skyrockets because of the difference in how the parents grieve and one will, you know, look at the way the other deals with it and you don't feel the loss the way I do. Therefore, you know, frequently dissolving the marriage. And that seems so real and believable in the way that the Minorus are acting. And then you throw in the adultery by Robert. Yeah, I almost I almost uh, dislike Robert more than Tina in this episode, given that I don't know, given that he clearly is invested in this relationship with Janet more than his own marriage, which, okay, sometimes marriages fall apart. Sometimes there's another person involved in that transition, whatever. But he, he's so he's so cold to Tina, who clearly is putting herself out there emotionally, also putting the underoos on the table, which is perhaps, perhaps a, a, a tad daring for my tastes. But the sentiment is there. And what bothers me most is that he doesn't just say, hey, we need to, let's slow down, let's reconnect. It's kind of this, how can you how can you change gears on me emotionally so fast? This is completely your fault. I need to leave. Uh, hey, Janet, I'll be there in five for us to uh, for us to do the dirty deed. Yeah, um, the the premeditation of it, along with uh, putting a down payment on a pad for the two of them. This whole portion of the story, I, I will admit, it took me aback a little bit. Now it's it's TV fourteen and Pete. Pete it's just. It's people making kissy face as they're wont to do. There's nothing here that is uh, overly egregious, and it was not uh, blowing my puritanical mind away. But whether it's whether it's undies on the table or whether it's uh, the scene in which uh, Janet ends up wearing less than she started with, um, these are some, shall we say, these are some active adults. Yeah, um, I, I think it was slightly out of line with what's come before on this show. But I, I think when you consider what is in the TV landscape or this type of programming, it, it's still in the realm of that. Um, but Janet, who's been cast before as this, you know, submissive wife, possibly abused, uh, to her husband, Victor. And there's been these sidelong glances and these comments in Robert's presence and, and now complicit in this affair with him. Um, when she was concerned before for her son, this could be more hurtful to him in the long run then obviously the damage that his father is doing with, you know, fork throwing and anger about grades. We certainly have surpassed the point uh, in which I've read uh, in the comics. So I like, you know, as somebody who's spoiler free, I like not really having a sense of where things are headed. But 
this episode is the one where to me it kind of turned and it was like oh they're not just villains because they're super villains and because they're doing all this pride stuff they're villains because they're villainous in the way grown-ups can be to to their kids or around their kids um janet you know here the the perfect pta mom uh now involved in, a, in an extramarital affair same things for robert well he's not the pta mom but you understand what i'm saying here yeah uh tina trying to push her daughter to be her best while being distant um victor certainly you know similar scenario setting high high expectations for his son and trying to push him without being too lovey-dovey um Le- leslie I guess also similar. I, I'm realizing as I say it here, Pete, they're all kind of similarly distant, but she also has high aspirations for her daughter and is trying to show her daughter there's family and then there's a larger community beyond that. All all apt parenting tools, I suppose, but here they are presented in villainous ways. Well, you know, it would be funny to ponder which pair of parents is the worst. But let's look at them as a group, Matt, as we talk theories here. Did the pride kill Molly's parents? Certainly that is suggested, particularly since we go through the through the narrative tool of flashbacks, since we go from she's dead, gee whiz, or they're dead, uh, she is now uh, orphaned, uh, the pride is going to take care of her in terms of Dale and Stacy adopting her. Uh, the question of the, the burn on the hand, which at the very least shows that other members of the Pride think something could be up. They don't put it past this tight-knit group of seven, now six, pairs of parents. Um, fast forward ten years later, we're at a similar point where how many times have we seen characters, uh, adults as part of the Pride, say, it's just this one more thing, or we're almost done, we almost have reached the end they want out of this and for whatever reason that we're not completely clear on yet. And I'm okay with that. And I like it, but we see Catherine and Jeffrey and Stacy and Dale all want out of this thing. Something's not right, even though they're still all complicit to what pride does. Molly is wearing a cast on her right leg and she's in a wheelchair as a child 10 years ago. Is that connected to this fire? Was that something different to perhaps show later on the the strength she exhibits now ooh that's that's interesting that's an interesting idea for what i for what i got from it in just this episode i just read it as unspoken trauma from the traumatic event that that took her parents and it's an easy way to say oh she has you know literal or not so literal scars from this event uh, but we don't need to show that we don't need to show burning timbers and mommy mommy and things falling a, that would be, I think, a, a bit sad for where this show has been. But also, you can do away with that and merely have her hurt at the uh, at the um, the funeral there. As for whether she's had these powers kind of retroactively, I'm not quite sure. I know that the comics obviously come from the Marvel Universe and, you know, X-Men and mutations and powers like that. Uh, not the case here in the MCU. Uh, they're obviously just being a bit vague with, it's not Terragenesis and Inhumans, it's <laughs> don't sue us for claiming that she's a mutant. Um, but anyhow, to me, I just tie back, tie back to with that thrust from Marvel Comics, 
puberty mutant. That's why the powers are showing up now. It would be too overt to have the bandage that Tina is wearing directly related, I think, to the fire um, and the and the burn. Um, did the staff cause this? Is she maybe 10 years ago first messing around with the staff and not quite in control of its powers the way she is in real time? I'm not sure. And as, as we've said before, not having a complete sense of how this writing room works, it could go either way. Uh, I think probably, let's see off the top of my head, it's, it's a richer story to flashback 10 years ago and reveal that Tina, who we are all sure, because she's the meanest mom and she's the one in charge and she makes fun of the other moms and she's a mean girl. It would be richer narratively to have us see her 10 years ago and she finds this this thing and it's a mistake. Uh, and, and, and where she goes dark, where she breaks bad is the result of an accident and not her 10 years ago saying, aha, Hernandez says, I shall get you out of the way to climb to the top. We've learned that Frank Dean has been subjected to the synergy serum before. And we know he's not one of the pride parents uh, included in the group there. I think we're pushing him further towards a potential ally for the kids with that revelation. That could be, I kind of like that it's in this episode that the other penny drops and it's like, Oh, that's why Frank Dean is kind of like, he's almost like the, uh, Oh crud, the, um, Kenny, the page on, uh, on, um, 30 rock where it's like, gee whiz, can I go upstairs to go see the secret meditation room? Oh, I can't. Okay. Then I'll go downstairs. Like, I like that there's this slight, you know, slight brain dead aspect to him. That slight, um, lobotomy whiff to him there um i think it enriches the character even if they don't do much more with him which time will tell i mean we have 18 major characters here plenty of room to take us in plenty of directions matt we have talked about the presidential leadership of the marvel cinematic universe on a number of occasions during every Marvel Cinematic TV show that we've podcast and all 17 movies to this point. Um, We currently have President Matthew Ellis and uh, he was seen specifically in Iron Man 3 that um, Nico references the Obama administration which we know in 2017 only ended um, in January that their parents haven't been on a, that her parents haven't been on a date since was this sarcasm or is this, Oh, Hey, you are literally a presidential term behind since you guys have gone on a date. Recap, because we've had discussions like this before, uh, before we got this, this new, new news here. So recap is despite what, you know, the Marvel wiki and things said, Matthew Ellis did not show up in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, assuming that they are matching us year to year, um, did not show up till 2013. Uh, and he described himself as having been elected for a, on a single issue, the idea of, uh, safety and whatnot, uh, post battle of New York, et cetera, et cetera. 
He's referenced in Agents of Shield. Indeed. Uh, he's he hasn't appeared on it. Um and then I we, think he has appeared in Agents of Shield. I'm, yeah, yeah. Now that I'm thinking, I think you're right. But we had a line about Obama during Luke Cage. So Barack Obama exists in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He's repeatedly been referenced. He has apparently been pre- a president, um, as has Matthew Ellis. So when did this Obama administration end? Well, <laughs> how long has it been since Nico's parents have been on a date? Don't wait for the translation. Answer the question. <laughs> well, given that he said, uh, as I referenced, you know, he he was elected on this single issue to to help you know, keep people safe, um, kind of post Battle of New York. And given that there was an Obama administration and given that Obama was not president while Ellis was, to me, um, to me, the answer that, that is the best, the best inference is Obama was elected in 2008, uh, presumably ran for re-election in 2012, that I don't know. But Matthew Ellis in this drastically shifted world um, of, of, you know, post-Battle of New York and the rise of the heroes and all that, that's when he was elected. That keeps him still um i suppose president i mean i I guess we need to see him again to know if he was re-elected um but to me that all that all fits then you add to it the fact that her parents haven't been on a date since the obama administration that dates it at the, the, the the most recent a date would be is 2012 so five years ago there you go to me that that timeline fits perfectly i knew obama was gonna go easy on space aliens matt how about this staff of one speaking of space aliens is or are its powers the new Karnak? Cause I'm not clear on what it does. Well, Pete, I know that depending, depending on how canonical you want to make this, but the intention was that uh, a version of Tina Minoru appeared in Dr. Strange. And in terms of the show, they're not completely married to that um, because it wasn't overtly said. With all of that in mind, I think you can you can capture the staff as acting on a magical frequency, for lack of a better word. Uh, particularly if there is some some genesis of uh, of of Tina Minoru as a master of the mystic arts to some degree. Again, I'm not completely married to that. Um, the and to me that then gets us everything we want: the magic staff, which can create the barrier, which can do other things which can make it snow um so yeah to me to me that's kind of the answer what about the significance of this school and the breaking of ground for it with the pride's objective robert cites this as uh, an idea that okay they'll be done they'll be concluded with their business and uh finish up I like that there is so much mystery after three episodes. We are 30% through this in a show that clearly I read, I, I read much less of the comic than I thought. I definitely remember our parents are villains, and I don't remember much after that. Um, so I like that we're getting into this. We're getting to know the parents as, as much as the kids. Um, certainly this idea of the school is obviously suggestive of a line of demarcation that said some of this payoff for the angel investing that uh, tina and robert have done for stacy and dale's uh technology company 
that suggests that everyone is not working towards. And once the school is opened, we, 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 you know, the pride splits up. So these are all great mysteries to have. It, it's interesting. We so many of these shows will have this overt, you know, who's the mystery, or they're 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 putting kind of very clear breadcrumbs. You know, is is Tyler Vock in uh, in in Discovery, and who's the mystery? the mystery person in shield in any given season or where, how did they get there? You know, kind of very overt things with this. It's much more, we are, we are fish out of water and we don't fully understand the rules of the, I don't want to say the world. We don't understand the rules of their, their little sub community as, as pride and children of pride. Well, speaking of the mystery person, Matt, we have confirmation that is a male, so it cannot be uh, Amy Minoru somehow being brought back uh is it indeed robert eller who started the church of gaborum leslie dean's father i think that certainly is is much more suggested uh the choice of the um the procedure the process the whatever did not work however he looked much more um or, or shall we say much less decrepit and so the, kind of the makeup there helping tell the story um yeah to me that's a much more likely scenario at this point and lastly destiny's body has it actually shown up on the shore here matt could this be a um a will from stranger things situation i have a hard time believing that only because the pride assumed that victor had had done the thing had done the procedure uh, correctly the first time he clearly was hiding the fact that it did not work um and then now ha- has to get rid of the body i think that's much more likely and then now you look at the dynamics we'll have for the next episode uh victor's inability to have gotten the job done will now be clear to the pride and the suspicion in their parents will now be reignited for the children and I think this could really be a jumping off point as opposed to, oh, look, she's filled with cotton stuffing. So bottom line, Pete, the death of destiny is something that is going to help make this team of teens come together. Well, speaking of help for your team, Matt, we want to take a moment to thank our patrons to patreon.com slash fantastic geek. Everybody who contributes gets exclusive podcast content, and then there are all sorts of levels to donate at. You could be at the the Victor Stein level or just barely get your feet in the door at the at the York's level, whatever it's going to be. But we're thankful for everybody in our pride. We absolutely are. We are going at full speed with these now three concurrent shows, and part of what makes it so uh, so easy to do is the knowledge that we have that uh, vociferous audience out there supporting us, letting us be listener-supported, and uh, that means quite a bit. But Pete, meaning the biggest bit to people is being able to be in touch with you on Twitter. How can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 9,651 followers. Can't be wrong. 
Now, while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast anytime you like. Visit fantasticgeek.com, email fantasticgeek at gmail.com. Check us out on Twitter and Instagram where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with a PH, all one word. Like it today. To those listening on the Pop Culture Podcast, Pete, when will we be back to talk more Punisher? That would be tomorrow, Matt. Monday, November 27th. We are in the midst of what we anticipate is going to be um, eight to ten straight days of podcast episodes. (laughs) So every day it's something. Um, And again, whether you're getting it all on the pop culture podcast feed, whether you are with the boutique feeds for different shows, uh, you got access to all of it. Absolutely. And uh, as mentioned before, the the Runaways Rundown podcast will return probably Tuesday for uh, that new episode that hits Hulu on Tuesday. So the adventure continues. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. I like hips. I can't believe it. I just made a mistake. Well, parents are the same no matter time, no place. So to you other kids all across the land, take it from me. Parents just don't understand. 